our communion meditation is in Habakkuk. So you just need to find Matthew and back up about 20 or 30 pages, depending on your Bible. And I'll read Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come. It will not tarry. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, which is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path, and it is uh, the words of life. We pray, Lord, that you would open our minds and our understanding and have us to embrace it. In Jesus' name, we give you thanks for it. In Christ's name, amen. So our text is Habakkuk 2, verses 1 through 4, and again, I'm kind of finishing out uh, some of the minor prophets that uh, none of us have uh, preached on in all of the years, I believe, that Dominion has existed, at least since we started recording the sermons, maybe 03 or 05 or something. So now, Habakkuk is a contemporary of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was writing uh, at the time, just prior to the collapse of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. Over a hundred years earlier, the northern kingdom had fallen to the Assyrians. And then they had attacked Judah. And they besieged Jerusalem. And that, if you remember, is when King Hezekiah prayed for deliverance. And that night, an angel of the Lord slew 185,000 Assyrian soldiers, and they were rescued from the Assyrians. Hezekiah, you know, was a good king. He had many reformations in his time, and yet, after this, he was diseased. He prayed to God for deliverance. He was given relief from that. His reign and life were extended 15 years, and yet, during that time, envoys from Babylonia came. And he showed them everything. Isaiah came to him afterwards and said, who were they? What did you show them? He said, they were from a far northern country and I showed them everything. And Isaiah, in, in, in a sense, rebuked him, saying that this kingdom will one day come and take your sons into captivity. Your descendants will be eunuchs in that man's kingdom. And what did Hezekiah do? What did he say? What did he think to himself? You know what he did? He thought to himself, he was pleased because this would not happen in his day. So Hezekiah's life was extended. This Babylonian envoy had come, and yet then he is rebuked by Isaiah, yet he's living at peace because this is not going to happen in his time. King Hezekiah's son, Manasseh, then ruled. He was an evil ruler. For 55 years, he ruled. At the end of his life, he returned to the Lord. But then his son took over, who again was evil, probably even more evil than Manasseh. His name was Amon. He only lasted two years. He was assassinated, and yet the assassins were then held accountable for this. 
and then they made his son eight-year-old Josiah king. And then again, reforms came. And we know the story of Josiah, how the book of the law is found and, and it's restored, the temple is cleared out. I mean, all of these great, great reformations. And yet, all this time, for over a century, Judea had lived in fear of Assyria. They thought that was their real enemy. And yet, God had revealed to Hezekiah and Isaiah a hundred years earlier that no, it was not Assyria that Judah was going to fall to. It was Babylon. So that's the context. And now we're coming right up to this point where Habakkuk and Jeremiah are both prophesying what is to come. That these Chaldeans, these Babylonians are going to come. Let me read chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the start of this letter. The burden which the prophet Habakkuk saw... O Lord, how long shall I cry, and you will not hear, even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? For plundering and violence are before me. There is strife and contention arises. Therefore the law is powerless, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore perverse judgment proceeds. Now, what is Habakkuk complaining about? He's complaining about injustice within Judah. And this is at a time of great reformation. So see, there was this outward reformation of Judah, but it wasn't affecting the majority of people's hearts. They were still wicked, and they were still unjust. Let me continue reading from there. This is how God replied to Habakkuk's request. Look among the nations and watch. Be utterly astounded, for I will work a work in your days, which you would not believe, though it were told you. For indeed, I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. They are terrible and dreadful. Their judgment and their dignity proceed from themselves. Their horses also are swifter than leopards and more fierce than evening wolves. Their chargers charge ahead. Their cavalry comes from afar. They fly as the eagle that hastens to eat. They all come for violence. Their faces are set like the east wind. They gather captives like sand. They scoff at kings, and princes are scorned by them. They deride every stronghold. For they heap up earthen mounds and seize it. Habakkuk had prayed for relief from the injustice within Judah. And how did God answer his prayer? He said, I am going to judge the injustice of your Judean rulers by having this evil enemy come and conquer your people. So I really doubt that's what Habakkuk wanted when he began praying to God to relieve him from the injustice within Judah. So Habakkuk prays again. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. You are of purer eyes than to behold evil and cannot look on wickedness. Why do you look to those who deal treacherously and hold your tongue when the wicked devours? A person more righteous than he. 
Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with a hook. They catch them in their net, gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Therefore, they sacrifice to their net and turn incense to their dragnet because by them their share is sumptuous and their food plentiful. Shall they therefore empty their net and continue to slay nations without pity? Habakkuk is complaining about what God has told him. He doesn't think it's right that the, Jude, the Judean people, who are wicked, but yet not nearly as wicked as the Chaldeans, are going to be judged by them. Then he climbs the wall, he climbs the rampart, and he waits again for God to talk to him, to give him the answer to his plea. He didn't like God's first answer, and he's complained about that answer. And now God answers him again in what we read. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. It's going to be so obvious that even people running will see this. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold, the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. And he goes on for a long time, pretty much the remainder of the book, emphasizing what it is that he is doing, what will fall upon Judah. This text, Habakkuk 2, verse 4, but the just shall live by his faith, is quoted twice in the New Testament. And let me read those references. The first is in Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then Paul goes on in the next verse, in verse 18, to say this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So Paul was telling the Romans that God judges all sin on earth. All injustice will be judged, and it falls from heaven. It falls from heaven like a hammer. The next reference is from Hebrews chapter 10. Let me start reading at, chapter, at verse 35, Hebrews 10, 35. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Now, these are quotes from the Old Testament. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. So you see what these references to Habakkuk have in common from Romans and Hebrews. They're both speaking about the inevitable judgment of God falling upon earth. And yet we know that God's judgment begins in his own house. It begins with his own people. That's where judgment starts. So now it's good that we pray for justice on the earth. It was good that Habakkuk was praying for justice to be done in Judah. And yet sometimes 
the justice that falls on us is so much greater than we had wanted. It sweeps everything in its path. God levels everything. And I would say that it is, it is in part res in response to our prayers for that, but yet it's far more than we had hoped for or wanted. God can give us very, very scary answers to our prayers, and yet they are answers. He answered Habakkuk. The readers of Hebrews were given such a scary answer to the ultimate justice that would fall. But what is the emphasis on, though? And where did I end the, with the emphasis? The title of this message is, The Just Shall Live by Faith. There is temporal judgment. God does not withhold judgment on this earth and reserve it all for heaven in the beyond. There is temporal judgment. But there is an ultimate judgment. And yet, the just shall live by faith. And so, if you want justice, don't just want temporal justice. What you want, really, by your prayer, is eternal justice. So God might bring some of that eternal justice into this earthly realm, into this present time. But yet the ultimate justice, the ultimate gift that he's given us, is perfect justice that will fall from heaven one day, comprehensively, completely. And, you know, we've been hearing from Revelation 21, and it's beautiful, this picture of what it is that life will be like one day on this world. Yet, in the interim, we want to see that now. We don't want to see injustice prevail, ever. And when we read about injustice, it grieves us, it hurts us. Yet, keep praying for justice, regardless of how God answers it. We want justice now and in eternity. And it's very important, and let me get this very clear. It's very important that even as much as you want justice, it's far more important that you do justice, that you yourselves act justly. You treat people justly, far better perhaps than they deserve. So it's in times like this, frankly, that we're living in, wicked times, in which it's important that we live by faith. We live by faith in God, in His promises, that He will bring His promises to pass. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the promise of the table that is for justice. And Christ has paid the price to rescue us from the justice that is due us. And we thank You for that, Lord. We pray for those who despise You, we praise for those who ignore you and who reject you. Lord, please open their eyes to the sword of justice that hangs over their head, both here in this time and in the time to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.